0: Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Influence. What is influence? What is the power of influence? Is it the ability to persuade others to buy your product? Is it convincing someone to live your lifestyle? Is it gaining the trust of followers to advance your agenda? Or is it something more? I love that video because it scares everybody every time it starts. (laughs) Influence. (laughs) It's awesome. It's an attention getter. Well, we've been talking about influence here the last few weeks. And uh, I I just have... uh, I've really enjoyed diving into Nehemiah. I hope you have, too. I hope you've been reading it throughout the week. What an incredible book, and what an incredible guy to just study, as just kind of a character study, almost. Um, But, of course, we're looking at this, at at Nehemiah, the man, the book, um, through the eyes of leadership. And, uh, you know, I I think it's probably just a, a wonderful thing to say, and I know John Maxwell has said it over and over, but leadership is influence, nothing more Nothing less. You can't be a leader if you have no influence. Every true leader has influence, or they wouldn't be leading. Can you say amen? Yes. So Nehemiah had incredible influence, and, and we've seen that as we've been dissecting a story and pulling out characteristics that gave him that influence, and we're really looking at what was in him, the, those character qualities that were in him that gave him such supernatural influence. And we started out by seeing that he was absolutely a man of prayer and not just when an emergency came up. He was a man of constant prayer, even fasting as he prayed. Nehemiah was the leader he was because of his foundation of prayer. You will never have that kind of influence, that, the kind of influence that you need to have to accomplish what God has put you on this earth to accomplish until you have the foundation of a solid prayer life. It all starts with prayer, church. And I don't want to sound like a broken record. Some of you probably think, man, you say that all the time. Yeah, I do, because it's the absolute truth. When God's people start praying, things start lining up in their lives. They just do. You know, we live in a, in a world where, where people are addicted to all sorts of things, where their lives have been messed up from all sorts of things where situations and circumstances have overwhelmed them and taken them to the place of utter depression. And and, and just, it's like they're not even happy anymore. And I'm telling you, that's leaked incredibly, an incredible amount of that is leaked into the church. The church even lives that way. And there's no reason to. God has put you on this earth to do something awesome. Turn to your neighbor. I get a lot of amens from over here, but this side's kind of a little... Turn to your neighbor and say, God put you on this earth to do something awesome. He did. He put you on this earth with a purpose. He created and formed you in such a way that he had absolutely, he was intentional about it. He made you just the way you are. He put in the right ingredients. He put in the right stuff to make you who you are so that you could do what he called you to do. And most of us miss it. And then we're miserable and we wonder why. Why? But I'm telling you, church, it all starts, like it did for Nehemiah, with a solid, solid prayer life. It starts with prayer, church. There's no uh, highway option here. There's no, there's no alternative. There's no quick way around it. it, it it's no, no, uh, no microwave it in a second kind of thing. It's prayer, prayer, prayer. And as you know, Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king Artaxerxes, And to put this in a a kind of a timeline for you so you can understand, God made a covenant with Abraham in 2000 B.C. 1,000 years later, King Solomon built the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. That's 1,000 B.C. 414 years later, in 586 B.C., that's 586 years before Christ, the city of Jerusalem was conquered by the Babylonians and the the Jewish people, the Israelites, were taken and held captive there. Fifty years later, the king of Persia, King Cyrus, overthrew the Babylonian Empire and allowed the Jews who had been exiled to Babylon to return home. Led by the prophet Zerubbabel, Eighty years after that, King Artaxerxes was in power and helped finance another 5,700 Israelites to return to Jerusalem. It was during this time that Nehemiah was cut bare to the king. Do we have that timeline we can throw up on the screen there, uh, our media guy up there? So here's a good timeline. Go ahead and throw those things up there. I, I already went over them all. You had the Abrahamic covenant. You had King Solomon builds the temple. You have the Babylonians sack Jerusalem. You have King Cyrus of Persia overthrows Babylon. And then you have King Artaxerxes... Um one of the successors to King Cyrus, and he finances Ezra and or 5700 Israelites to return to Jerusalem. This is when Nehemiah was a cupbearer, and of course, as we read through the story, we see that a prayerful Nehemiah became burdened for his people in Jerusalem and the shame that they were under because of the condition of their city. Nehemiah was a man of prayer. He started getting burdened for this, for his people. He had never even been to Jerusalem. The king saw this in him and allowed Nehemiah to return to his ancestors' land, giving him papers for safe travel as well as timbers to rebuild. That's the favor of God. That's Nehemiah fulfilling his purpose and God's favor being on him to fulfill that purpose because he was a man of prayer to begin with. And last week we talked about how Nehemiah was a man of vision. Again, he had a God vision only because he had that foundation of prayer laid first. He didn't share his vision with everyone. He held it close until it was the right time to reveal it. We also talked about how distractions will come when we are going after the vision that God has given us. It's inevitable. There'll be distractions. So thus far in this series, Nehemiah was a man of prayer and Nehemiah was a man of vision. And today we come to the third characteristic of this influencer, um, this this great uh, man of God, this, this influencer. And it's number three. Nehemiah, and you melancholies are going to love this, was an organized man with a plan. He was an organized man with a plan. Influencers are organizers. True leaders are organized people. Does that convict anybody today? That convicts me. I want you to close your eyes for a second. Picture your desk. Some of you are laughing. Some of you aren't. You're like, my desk is perfect. Well, good for you. For some of us, it's not so perfect, including me. And just because my life isn't, uh, doesn't line up with everything that I'm preaching doesn't mean that uh, it's not true, right? <laughs> I'm going to be transparent this morning. I'm not a very organized person. Praise God, he gave me Alyssa. Alyssa because she is, and uh, I don't know what I'd do without her organization. Can I be incredibly transparent? Are you okay with that? Some of you are like, man, you are so good with names. You know everybody's name. No, I don't. I really try, but I'm not that good with names. And so if you're walking by me, and and you're like, and you hear me say your name, and you're pretty new here, I'm I'm just gonna be transparent. I'm gonna be honest, because you can't lie in church, Right? I know your name because Alyssa saw you coming and whispered it in my ear. Okay? Just the way it is. I want to know your name, and I really try hard at that, and I keep working at it. But I have a secret weapon, and her name is Alyssa. So leaders are organized. Influencers are organizers, You will not be able to lead influentially if you are in a constant state of disorganization. It's just the way it is. First of all, people don't respect you when you're that disorganized. So all you melancholies out there, you're gonna love this message. All you others may not love it so much because it's a little convicting, but organization is essential for influential leadership. It's essential. Right at the end of chapter two, verse 17 in the book of Nehemiah, you see that Nehemiah shares his vision with the people. You know, we said last week, be careful who you share your vision with. Be careful that you do it at the right time. This was the right time for Nehemiah. And it says in chapter two, verse 17 through 18, but now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. He's talking to the people in Jerusalem. He's made it there. And its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. They replied at once. He he shared the vision. And they said, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began to build the wall and do the good work. He says these things to the people after spending a whole night inspecting the wall and its gates. He inspects the wall. So number one, I want to say to you, count the cost. You're a prayed up person, great. You got a vision from the Lord to do something wonderful, to, to fulfill the purposes he's called you to fulfill, great. You got a hold of that? Now get organized. And the way you do that, number one, count the cost. You count the cost. Before stepping out in faith to accomplish the vision that he's given you, it's imperative that you count the cost. It's not a lack of faith to have a good understanding of what's going to, what it's going to take financially, what it's going to take in reference to the amount of work hours, how it will affect your family, the things you may have to give up. Counting the cost keeps you from getting sideswiped by the unknowns. It's organization. It's part of organization and being organized. Before Nehemiah shared the vision, he counted the cost. He assessed the amount of labor and materials it would take. To accomplish the vision, he didn't doubt that it could be um, uh, that it could be God and, and be done. He, did, he he didn't he didn't doubt that, but he made sure he understood what it would take. And there there are many people who can get excited about uh, the big vision that God has given them, but there are very few who are willing to give themselves a reality check by counting the costs before setting out to accomplish it. And I want to tell you something that when when you count the cost and you hold the vision till the right time before you tell everybody about it, you protect God's reputation. Does that make sense to you? You protect God's reputation. Because if it's really a vision from God that has been birthed in prayer, then counting the cost won't scare you into uh, non-action or action. If, if it is God-ordained, then he will not leave you hanging. He will always accomplish it if it's birthed in him from the get-go. He'll always take care of it. And as you begin to read chapter three, you're gonna notice a lot of names. Names of of those who were in charge of rebuilding certain sections of the wall. Each section of the wall and each gate is specifically mentioned and the names of the people who worked on them. And I wanna make a couple of points here about these names. Everybody helped. He got the right people. He shared the vision and all the people helped. helped. True influencers will get as many involved in the project or vision as possible. And because it's a God thing, people will join in. It wasn't like many churches where 10% of the people are doing 90% of the work. How many of you have ever been to a church like that? It's not this one. I don't know where we're at. Probably as we've grown and and. You know the the sheep are always changing. It seems like because of moving away and, and because of you know we've done we've done five funerals here since the end of December. You know people people pass away and move on to heaven, and just to keep up with moving and, and deaths in a church, you gotta you gotta have a twenty percent growth thing going on. Otherwise you'll you'll end up losing numbers. Somebody we say well twenty percent growth that's pretty good. That's just basically to stay level and stay even, right? But as we change, we have to make sure everybody's doing their part, even in the church. So quiet. Let's listen to see if anybody's snoring. Nope. <laughs> and don't say you're not gifted enough. Don't say you're too busy, make time. Don't, don't say you're too old or too young. Just get busy. In reference to the church. And I know the church is not the only place you can have a vision and move forward, but God puts a local church together and he puts a body of believers together for a purpose and we can help each other with our our visions collectively, can't we? Nehemiah was amazingly wise as he divided the work among the people. They were all basically instructed to rebuild the portion of the wall near their home. Which is really a great idea. So, everybody helped. Number three, so count the cost, number one. Number two, everyone helped. And number three, everyone was recognized. This is all part of organization. Everybody helped, but everybody was recognized. True influencers will never stand in the limelight and take all the credit. You know what I think is interesting about this, this buzzword influencers right now? How, I mean, how many know that on social media you can be an influencer, right? I think it's interesting, they're in the limelight. True influencers that'll that'll influence for the kingdom of God and do something amazing that'll last a lifetime, they'll recognize everybody else that does the work. And even if they don't, those that work as unto the Lord will one day be recognized. Everyone who helped was mentioned in the word of God. In other words, laying bricks for God is enough to have your name written in the Bible. Think about that. Some of these people he mentions, it's the only time they're mentioned, and they're mentioned in the word of God because they laid a brick in the Lord's name. I think that's awesome. For those of you that worked on this place, praise God that you helped out with all that. You know, I I know uh, uh, the, the coffee bar is going through a small renovation. I know I can't mention everybody who's helped with it, but I know the Sanquist boys have done a lot of work in there. Thank you, guys. Laying bricks, screwing plywood, framing walls, qualifies you to have your name in the word of God when it was written. I think that's really awesome. And everyone who serves the Lord will store up for themselves treasures in heaven. Romans nine twenty one. Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common purposes? Why do I bring up that verse? Because some of you think you don't do anything and you do a ton just by doing what you're supposed to do. You know who who comes in every week and does a great job and saves my wife a lot of time? Donna Hoskinson. I don't even know if she's here today, but she folds all the bulletins. She's awesome. And if I don't mention your name because you do something, don't be mad at me. I'm just, I'm I'm shooting from the hip here this morning, okay? But it's so wonderful to have different people do things. And that's not something that's necessarily little, but it's something that's unseen. Nobody knows about it till now. some people if we're lumps of clay god can make us into things that everybody sees and they look so wonderful and we set them in front and everybody sees it all and then there's things that people can do in the behind the scenes and that's okay colossians 3:23 through 24 whatever you do work at it with all your heart as working for the lord not for men since you know that they will receive an inheritance from the lord as a reward it is the lord christ you are serving I also want to point out that as you read chapter 3, there are many gates mentioned, 10 of them to be exact. And there are, they are all mentioned by name, which makes them significant in and of themselves. But, but God tells us in these scriptures that every one of these gates were repaired and who repaired them. That, that's also significant. Nehemiah was an organized man, and hear me. But because he was prayed up and full of vision, he was really doing the Lord's work here. God is an organized God. There's a verse that says we are to be imitators of God, right? God is an organized God. We should imitate that. He is orderly. He is always the opposite of chaos. Yes, I'm a Pentecostal pastor, and I'm saying that God is a God that's opposite of chaos. How many have ever been in a charismaniac service uh, Matic. <laughs> where chaos happened. Pentecostalism does not mean chaos. He still does things in order. He does things outside of our plan, but they're done in order. He does things that are, whoa, I never saw that coming, but that doesn't mean it's chaos, it's order. He does things in order, and that's important to Remember, He's orderly. He's always the opposite of chaos. When God created the universe out of nothing, he created the cosmos. Cosmos means order. So God gave organization and order to chaos in the universe. And and by the way, he can bring the chaos of your life into order as well. But I I, want to continue with this organization thing by by talking about some of the specific details of the gates mentioned here in chapter three of Nehemiah. It was important enough for God to mention them by name, so it's important enough for us to go over them, wouldn't you say? And sometimes we read through this stuff and we go, I can't even say that word. I'm just going to skip over it. And we miss the meaning. We miss the meat. But there's some awesome meat here. Understand these gates, all of them, and the order that they're in, they tell a story. They prophetically preach the gospel. They foreshadow what was to come. God is so orderly that he can work through a prayed up visionary cupbearer named Nehemiah to build back up Jerusalem while at the same time telling us them the future things to come. This is 500 and some years before Jesus was on the earth. And God, through the rebuilding of the walls, preaches the gospel you know, Nehemiah would have never been involved with this. He, he could have never done that and been so perfectly in tune with God's will if he hadn't been prayed up. If it wasn't a real vision from God, it wouldn't have worked. He would have gotten way. His flesh would have gotten way. Have you ever set out to do something and your flesh got in the way? There's so much here. Nehemiah 3.1, and there's some names here I'm not gonna be able to say, so bear with me. You can't say them either, so... Verse three, or chapter three, verse one. Then Eliashib, the high priest, and the other priests started to rebuild at the sheep gate. That's gate number one, right? They dedicated it and set up its doors, building the wall as far as the tower of the hundred, which they dedicated, and the tower of Hananel. Notice it says, Eliashib, the high priest, the high priest, the sheep gate, is a picture of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. I'm going to read you John 10, 1 through 9. I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold, rather than going through the gate, must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger, they will run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely, and I will find good pastures. Why do you think 500 years before Jesus walked the face of the earth that God had Nehemiah rebuild the sheep gate? Why was it called that? It's a picture of what was to come. There was a Savior that was going to come. He was going to be our great shepherd. He was going to come through, and through him, through the gate of our good shepherd, we can find eternal life. We can go into God's city, (laughs) find entrance through the blood of Jesus Christ. Nehemiah 3.3, the fish gate was built by the sons of (laughs) <laughs> they laid the beams, set up its doors, and installed its bolts and bars. So the fish gate, number two, is a picture of soul winning being fishers of men. Mark 1.17 says, Jesus called out to them, Come follow me and I will show you how to, be, how to fish for people. So we enter into the, 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 the kingdom of God, we enter into... Eternal life. We enter into the fold, if you will, the sheep of Jesus Christ and Him as our shepherd. And then we're instructed to fish and become fishers of men. Nehemiah 3 6, the old city gate was repaired by Johaeda, jo- uh, jo- son of uh, Pasea, and Meshulam, son of, oh boy, this is a hard one, Basudia. They laid the beams, set up its doors, and installed its bolts and bars. You're not holding it against me that I can't read those, are you? I got to go back to school for that. These guys are important though. The old gate, the old city gate, it speaks of the old paths and the old truths of the word of God. Jeremiah 16 or 616 says, "This is what the Lord says, stop at the crossroads and look around, ask for the old godly way and walk in it, travel its path, and you will find rest for your souls." But you replied, "No. That's not what that's not the road we want." Jeremiah 18:15 says this, but but my people are not so reliable for they have deserted me. They burn incense to worthless idols. They have stumbled off the ancient highways and walk in muddy paths. What's God trying to say through this? He's saying stick to some of the old ways. Don't try to always go for the new thing all the time. People are always looking for the newest exciting thing. They refuse to go back to the basic truths of salvation, eternal life, and everyday living. You know, really living for Jesus and Christianity is not really all that complicated. You just do it. And the basics, the foundations are so important, and sometimes they're forgotten. Jesus Christ and salvation is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Methods may change, sure, with the times, but the message is still the same. The gospel of Jesus Christ God sent his only son to die for our sins, to ransom us. It's as simple as that. And if you accept the gift, you can have eternal life. You can become one of his children. The old city gate speaks of the old ways, the basic truths. Nehemiah 3.13 Go to the next gate. The valley gate, it says, was repaired by the people of Zenoa, led by Hanun. They set up its doors and installed its bolts and bars. They also repaired the 1,500 feet of wall to the dung gate. So we've had two gates mentioned there. Let's start with the valley gate. Reminds us of the humility of the Lord stripping himself of of God and becoming a man and the type of humility that we should put on. makes you think of Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Listen, church, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. And this stuff's convicting. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God humbled himself. Christ humbled himself. He became a man. The infinite became finite. And if he's our example, how much more should we be in that? There's a whole organization to what God did with these gates and these walls, and how we use Nehemiah to make it all happen. The gospel is being preached. We have to humble ourselves, don't we? The valley gate. Going through the valley is never easy, but God will take us there to bring blessing and strength into our lives. The valley is where the growth happens. Nobody wants to go through the valley, but it's where the grit and the perseverance are born. Great leaders are not just born, they are made. They are refined by fire, and that fire happens in the valleys of life. And if you find yourself in the middle of a valley in your life, just get your eyes on Jesus and keep walking through. God is going to use that valley to strengthen you and make you stronger than you've ever been before, but he'll never leave you or forsake you, and you're going to make it. To Keep your eyes focused on him. The dung gate, that was already mentioned, Right? And in, in verse four, at 14 of chapter 3, it says, The dung gate was repaired by Melchijah, son of Rechab, the leader of, of the uh, Beth-Hakarim district. He rebuilt it, set up its doors, and installed its bolts and bars. So the dung gate. I mean, we all probably know what that is. We're in farm country. You might as well say the manure gate. Apparently, this is the gate through which the waste and the refuse of the city was taken. Imagine how difficult it would have been to repair a gate in such a place. This speaks to us of cleansing our souls. 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says, because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit and let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. We're only on the fifth gate and we've already talked about what? Coming to Christ through the sheep gate? Jesus Christ, coming to him. We've talked about the valley gate, which we know we're gonna go through um, times in our life where there's, a, there's a, a, a refining. We've talked about the fish gate, which is our responsibility to win souls and become fishers of men. We've talked about the old gate that, re, that reminds us to, to stay focused on some of the old ways, the basic things of, the, of salvation. And we're to number five, um, the dung gate. Let's keep a constant uh, a, a thing going on in our lives where we're cleansing ourselves from all unrighteousness. And you know what does that? The word. The word of God does that. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Later in Nehemiah, it talks about some of the Jews complaining about all the rubbish. Always remember that when you work towards God-given visions, you're gonna encounter God's sheep. And where there are living sheep, there is manure. There is manure. I'm a farm kid. I know that. Let's not complain about one another's manure. Understand what I'm saying? Let's just help each other, encourage each other, and get it out of our lives as a church, as individuals. Turn to your neighbor and say, I've got manure. (laughs) Yeah. Turn to your other neighbor and say, you got manure. <laughs> so, that's more fun to do. Why is that? <laughs> we all got it. If you're alive, you're going to produce it. Right? I mean, we all got stuff. The dung gate reminds us. We should always be trying to get rid of that junk, laying it at the altar. You know what I love about this church? People come to the altar spontaneously. That's such an incredible thing because what are they doing? When they're worshiping, they're giving that garbage to God. When they're coming down here at the end and and whether they're receiving prayer or whether they're just getting along with God, they're giving that stuff to God. That's what we got to do as Christians. And how many know, just when you think you got it all out, then whoop, there's some more. <laughs> right? How many know that the closer you get to God, the more junk you get out of your life, but then the more you realize there's more junk? And there's like no end to it. Well, don't get discouraged about that. Just keep shoveling. You know? <laughs> I don't know why I'm telling this story, but there was a, there was a, a bunch of kids. They were locked in a room... They got put in a room full of horse manure just full of it and the kids started crying these are little kids all these kids started crying but there was one kid in there I mean he was picking it up throwing it around just he was so happy and they asked the kid why are you so happy all the other kids are crying he goes with this much manure there's got to be a pony in here somewhere I'm trying to figure out how that fits in but I don't think it does I don't know Maybe the more you shovel, the closer you get. Man, get that stuff out. The dung gate. I love the dung gate. It's the weirdest thing I ever said from the pulpit. All right. (laughs) Nehemiah 3.15. The fountain gate was repaired by Shalom, son of Kalhaze, the leader of the Mizpah district. He rebuilt it, roofed it, set it up its doors, and installed its bolts and bars. Then he repaired the wall of the pool of Siloam near the king's garden, and he rebuilt the wall as far as the stairs that descend from the city of David. And the city of David is Bethlehem, we know that. So this is the sixth gate, the gate of the fountain This is a picture of the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Water, lots of times, signifies the Holy Spirit in the word of God. Uh, John 7, 37 through 39 says, On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Man, I want some living rivers flowing from my heart. How about you? When he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to every belief, everyone believing in him, but the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. And notice the order of these gates. Again, orderly, organized. God's a God of order. Nehemiah, because he was a man of prayer, because he was a man of God's vision, because of that prayer, he was acting as God's tool in his hand. I mean, he, he was he was God's. He was doing his thing and it was absolutely within God's will. But the order of these gates, first there's humility, then cleansing, and then filling of the Holy Spirit. Humility, cleansing, and then filling of the Holy Spirit. That's the order of these gates. Nehemiah 3.25b-26 through says, next to him were Padeiah, um, son of Parash, with the temple servants living on the hill of Ophel, who repaired the wall as far as a point across the water gate to the east and the projecting tower. The water gate speaks of the word of God, which continually cleanses the believer. We talked about that just a second ago, but the water gate can talk specifically about the word of God. Ephesians 5, 25 and 26 says, husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Psalms 119, 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. Here's some interesting things about the water gate. And as you read over the Old Testament things, don't miss the meat. I, I said that earlier, but don't miss the meat. There's so much here. It's interesting to note that this is the seventh gate mentioned the word gate, the water gate the seventh gate mentioned and 7 is the bible number for perfection or for completeness the word of god is perfect and complete the word of god is perfect and complete it's also interesting to note that this gate didn't need to be repaired the word of god can't be destroyed it is true yesterday today and forever it will never return void it's perfect the water gate It talks about the guys, they they didn't have to rebuild that gate. It was already already intact. You think God planned that from the beginning? Orderly. He does everything in order. And it's amazing when you get into it and you begin to see some of these things. Psalms 119.89 says, Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Some versions say, Your word, O Lord, it's settled. It's done. Similar to Christ on the cross saying, it is finished. It's done. Nehemiah 3.28, above the horse gate, the priest repaired the wall. Each one repaired the section immediately across from his own house. So eight, the eighth gate is the horse gate. This gate introduces the idea of warfare. Certainly, there are battles in the Christian life and we must be ready to fight. These gates tell a story, Church an organized story. Second Timothy 2, 1-4 says, as Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life. Oh, I love that. For they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. Who's the officer that enlisted you? Jesus Christ. Man, I wanna please him with my life. And as a good soldier of God, how many are in the army of God? I may never march in the infantry. We've talked about that since we were little, right? There are battles to fight. This is how I will fight my battles, right? There's battles to be fought. There's battles to be fought in the Christian life. The horse gate speaks of that. Nehemiah 3, 29b. Next, Zadok, son of Emir, also rebuilt the wall across from his own house, and beyond him was Shemai, the son of Shakani, the gatekeeper of the east gate. So we see the east gate. This gate reminds us of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Matthew twenty four twenty seven. for as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Do you see the gospel being preached through these gates? Church, do you see it? I'm not making this stuff up. It's there, right in front of us. And again, this is 500, almost 600 years before Jesus walked the face of the earth. God is telling a story in a very detailed way, in a magnificent way so that 2,000 years later after Jesus, almost 2,000 years after Jesus, we could talk in church about it and go, what a magnificent example of God being a God of order. And Nehemiah, as an influential leader, following God because of his prayer life, getting a vision from God, carries out that vision in an orderly way. It's amazing how it's all put together Nehemiah 3.31, the last gate. Melchizedek, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the wall as far as the housing for the temple servants and merchants across from the inspection gate. Then he continued as far as the upper room at the corner. The gate Mifka, or the inspection gate, speaks of God's judgments. The Hebrew word Mifka. CAD means, Mifcad means appointment, account, census, mustering. It carries the idea of troops showing up for a review or inspection. Certainly God is going to call all souls up for judgment one day. i want to read to you 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 20. And I know I've been reading a lot of scripture this morning, but if you don't like scripture in church, what's wrong with you, man? Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it. But whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we, have already, we already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives inside you? God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple, stop deceiving yourselves. If you think that you are wise by this world's standards, you need to become a fool to be truly wise. For the wisdom of, the world, of this world is foolishness to God. As the scriptures say, he traps the wise in the snare of their own cleverness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, he knows they are worthless. I think about this, this judgment thing, this inspection thing, everything that we've done for the, the work of the Lord, including the big vision, right? It's all going to be tried by fire one day. Motives. Why did you do it? For accolades? Why did you do it? For glory? Why did you do what you did when you were going about your kingdom-building business? Why did you do what you? Why, why do you do it? Because you want position, or is it just because you want to serve and love God for all that He's poured back on you? You know, I was I was uh, talking to um, uh, I think it's Chuck and, and Mike, who who, based, who who installed all of our tile in our new kitchen. Uh, Chuck Harris and, and Mike uh, Hadeen, they uh, they installed all of our, our tile in the kitchen and the new bathrooms and they did it for free. Um, they're good tile layers, they're great guys. And I asked Chuck, I said, "Man, I I, I know this is a lot of work because it took a lot of work to lay all that tile." I'm like that's a lot of work, man. I, if I need to pay you, I'm willing to do that. We're willing to do that. And he just said, he said, man, I can't, I, I can't even think about taking money for that because I've, I, God has given me so much. This is Chuck. He said, God has given me so much, I can't even begin to repay him back. That's cool. That's a right attitude, isn't it? That's right on the money. The inspection gate everything you do for the lord for the lord will be tried by fire and it'll be revealed if it was really for the lord your work in building the kingdom here on earth is is always going to be tried it'll be it's going to be judged your motives your reasoning for why you want to pursue the vision you have so i jumping back into this 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 influence series i've kind of gone on a rabbit trail here with the, with the gates but I think it's important you can see the gates and their order, they tell the story of salvation the sheep gate to final judgment and I bring all that to you, to you this morning to say this the whole time that Nehemiah was working towards fulfilling his vision he was proclaiming the gospel with what he was doing And they didn't even know it. I ask you this today. As you are working to fulfill the vision you have, are you proclaiming the gospel? Are your motives right? People should be drawn to Christ because of your labors. Someone said, well, my my vision is to build an amazing business and provide for many families. That's great. But is your business proclaiming Jesus Christ in Christ? Are people being drawn to Christ because of your business? Nothing wrong with that. Well, separation of church and business. I don't know what that is, but... your, Your business should exemplify Christ. Well, I don't have a business. I just go to work every day and trade hours for dollars. That's fine. Thank God you have a job, amen? Good thing you're working. God loves people who work hard. I believe that with all my heart. It's godly to work hard. But with your work, are you glorifying God? Even with your vision to maybe move up in the company or or whatever your vision might be. You gotta ask yourself, it's a great vision, but what is it doing? What is it doing to proclaim Christ? What is it doing to attract people to Jesus? Because I'm telling you, church, everything we do, we shouldn't compartmentalize our lives. This is my church life, this is my family life, this is my Uh, my work life, this is my recreation life, and, and I've got to keep them separate. How about we just live for Jesus and let it all blend? You know what I'm saying? Let it all blend. We are building his kingdom, and there's a perfect order to things when God is in it. Nehemiah was a man of prayer, a man of vision, and a very organized man. There's no doubt. That's why the walls were repaired in an amazing 52 days. They didn't have power tools. Can you imagine the piles of rubble they had to get out of the way by hand? But they did it in 52 days. He influenced the whole people to come together and fulfill all that God was calling him to fulfill. He was an influencer extraordinaire. People followed him because of the organization he had. It was divine wisdom, and everybody could see it. This morning, I want you to close your eyes for a minute one more time. I I know I already asked you to do that once, but I'm going to close. And I, I want you to think as your eyes are closed. I want you to think about the leader that God has called you to be. Think about that vision he's given you. Maybe, maybe that vision is so, was given to you so long ago and it's like you just, you just never stepped towards it and it's just still in the back of your head and in the, in the, kind of in the back of your spirit man and it just nags at you because, because you've never fulfilled it. You still can. But I want you to think about that vision he's given you, big or small, no matter when he's given it to you. And I want to ask you the question, have you counted the cost Are you getting others involved that need to be involved and are you making sure to recognize them? Are you paying attention to the details and being organized in your methodology of making it happen? Is your motive to bring people to Christ? This is what influential leaders do. They analyze a bit. They don't overanalyze, but they analyze. They're people of prayer. They're people of vision. They're people of organization. And that may or may not be your gifting. I'm more of a visionary than I am, a, than I am an organizer. So what do I do? I pull as many organized people as I can around me. And I work at it. Church. Church. The whole goal of this message is that you might get a passion to step into the world of influence and influence people like you've never influenced before. Again, it starts with prayer. Let God give you a vision for what he'd have you do. Then begin to organize. You can about imagine what I'm gonna preach next week. But how many would say, I've got some work to do in these areas. Maybe you've been, I like to say, pinballing through life. Just kind of bouncing around wherever the situation bounces you to and the circumstance. You know, we're not supposed to live like that. Living intentionally is a good thing. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.